Good morning and welcome to everyone. Really, thank you for being here today. Uh, has it been a beautiful week or what? I mean, we've, we have almost been wonderfully cool, although I, it, cool doesn't seem to have any impact on the mosquitoes in my backyard at least. So, uh, any rate, we're also glad to have those of you who are joining us on YouTube Live. We're really thankful that you've chosen to be with us. Later in the service, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together, and we particularly want to invite you to have your elements together, bread and cup, ready uh, at the end of the service so that you can participate with us and be part of that fellowship, even though we're not all together. If you're at all new to us, we want to point you to our website, www.ljchurch.org. Uh, you'll find a lot of good stuff there that, that you can follow up with. And that will also give you a link to our Facebook page where you can get involved in some dialogue. Also, all of us know that on, uh, on our uh, website is our links to the caring and sharing. You may have picked up a copy here today, but uh, you don't need to lug that around. If you've got your phone with you, then you've got access to the caring and sharing. And I really want to encourage you to take advantage of that. We have not specifically mentioned in a while, but want to be sure and remind everybody, as each week we have a few new faces coming back to, with us, uh, just as the Lord's Supper will not be passed out by having uh, trays passed around, we've also chosen not to uh, have trays passed for the collection. Instead, right in the center, it'd be hard to miss it, of our Welcome Center, you'll see a box for our giving back to God and for our kids' gift. And we're really thankful for the way the kids continue to put their donations in the kids' gift box. So please uh, take a look at that and, and remember us in that process. And again, thank you very much for your support of us financially through this most interesting time. I want to remind you that next Sunday, next Sunday evening, hasn't it been a long time since we've had a Family Fellowship Sunday? Uh, well, we're going to kick it off really, really well. Uh, we're, we're really glad to have the, the Millers inviting us back to their farm out in Danbury. If you've done any research on COVID, you know that being outdoors can be a huge prevention for uh, dispersing uh, any kind of infection that might be there. I would still encourage you because we're wanting as many people to come as possible. If while you're there, you're sitting next to someone for larger, longer than just a couple of minutes, or if that proximity is a little less than six feet, to have your mask with you. Again, not that you're scared, not that you are necessarily a victim, but because you want to be courteous, and we want to be sure that people can come and feel like that we're going to be courteous towards them. So think about that as well. Also, at the picnic, because it's such a beautiful setting, and because we have a few people in our congregations whose families have changed dramatically since the last time we took pictures for our instant church directory, where our pictorial directory is online, a great app. If you don't have it, please call the office. We want to be sure that you have that. We're going to be taking updated pictures out, out at the out at the Miller's, Miller's Place. So uh, you might just plan on doing that. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean you need to be dressed up in your Sunday best or anything like that. Just have your best smile on because we'd like to capture that. This morning, uh, we've had quite a bit of stuff happen during the week that we, uh, and because I didn't do the Thursday update, I feel like I need to do some special prayer requests and get you caught up on a few things. We're really thankful that Carolyn Hunter, Kevin's mom, uh, is now out of ICU in Tulsa and now is in uh, the regional hospital there in Muskogee on the rehab floor, is doing incredibly well, getting a little bit of movement back on her left side, and we're really, really thankful for that. Somebody say amen for what God's continuing to do. But I do want you to continue to remember Maggie Stroman. If you're not aware, she's being treated for macular degeneration is expected to have eye surgery tomorrow, October the 5th. Nelda Rambo, uh, last Sunday, um, I didn't see it until after church, but wanted to ask for our prayers for her husband, D. Rambo, who is battling stage 4 can prostate cancer that they have now found has spread into the bones. So let's remember Nelda and D. Rambo. Sherry Nakan has also asked us to pray for her daughter-in-law's father, Floyd Scott, who's struggling with COVID. He's right here the Brazosport Regional, and uh, they were expecting that he might have to go on to a ventilator sometime this weekend. I haven't gotten an update along that line. Also, continue to remember Nell Brown. 
as she continues to struggle with some blood issues and is getting help and testing and those kinds of things. So remember Nell in your prayer and we really uh, want to continue to support Joanne Philo who has completed her second round of chemo as she battles her cancer. And as I'm sure most of you are aware, Sherman Estes passed away late Thursday. He was surrounded by his family and many of you took the time to go by and bless him in the days before he died. So we're really thankful for that. His services, if you're not aware, are tomorrow. Visitation here at the Lake Jackson Church Christ. His he, visitation will be at 10 o'clock in the morning, immediately followed by the funeral at 11. And we'd be glad to have you join us for that. As we begin our time of worship together, please stand with me. I'm going to ask that you would uh, recite with me from Psalm 92, some selected verses from Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. There is an endless song, echoes in my soul, I hear the music ring. And though the storms may come, I am holding on, and to the rock I cling. How can I keep from singing your like to invite our children that are going to be attending stage two and praise kid to leave as we're singing this next song. <coughs> he came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be the living word of life. He came to die, so we be reconciled. He came to rise, to show his power and might. That's why we praise him, that's why we sing, that's why we offer him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship his king, because he gave his everything. to be our 
Shall we pray? Almighty Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you've provided for us and recognize you as the creator of all things. We come humbly before you today as our society is facing many challenges. And we realize that you are in control and the solutions will come from you and not us. We ask you to fill us with your spirit and wisdom so we can be part of your solution. We ask that you be with those that have been affected by the virus, especially the president. We ask that you be with our society as we address race relations and that you help us provide clean water for us here. We ask that you be with those that have been suffering because of the hurricanes and tropical storms and we lift up disaster assistance, the organization Disaster Assistance and Mike Bumgardner as he is helping those that have been affected and is currently in Somerdale, Alabama. We want to remember the prayer that Jesus said in John 17, 20, where he prayed to the Father saying, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those that believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and they have loved and have loved them even as, I, as you have loved me. Let us remember Christ's words and prayer at this time and, and thank God for sending Christ to redeem us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Morning. Morning. Be reading from First John one three through ten. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and we will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart, Lord. 
going to miss Robin Lee leading singing on a regular basis in here. And I think you should be honored because I asked Robin to pick out most of the songs today and so what you were singing were things he wanted to hear this church hear this week, this t t today. And uh, you may not know it, but uh, the, the singing in this congregation is you can put a whole lot more people in a building and they can't generate what you generate. And I'm really thankful for the way you let your hearts pour into that. Today's going to be a little bit different of a lesson. It will in react be a message, a very personal message for me. I want to just kind of relieve any fears you might have. Uh, first of all, no, I'm not sick again, no cancer. Secondly, I'm not resigning and leaving to go somewhere. And to the best of my knowledge, the elders aren't firing me. Uh, third, I have not committed any kind of uh, violation or sin that causes me to have to step down uh, in, a, in, a, in that kind of an overt way. But sin is the reason that I'm bringing this message to you today. Start off with two readings, one from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 18. Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better but for the worse. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And then from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he, that is Jesus Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, is our peace. In his flesh he made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. I am convinced that I have participated in breaking the fellowship that Christ died for and calls us to live in. If not by my direct actions, then by my inaction. If not by my thinking, then in my voluntary blindness. For many years now, I've been on a journey of discovery and reflection. And that journey has been punctuated with various events in my life, some personal, some public. But it has become more urgent and pressing on my heart, soul, mind. And some of you have even noted that it has affected me physically. In the 12 years that I've been here, I have been blessed with your kind and gracious hearing. I ask that you hear me today with that same grace and kindness. I'm going to address some topics and use some phrases that may tempt you to simply tune out and immediately take exception. But I ask for you to keep listening and to try and understand my meaning for those words and phrases and what, what they are portrayed in the media. But before, excuse me, before you feel accused, please note that in today's message, I am speaking of my own blindness, my own lack of understanding, my own inaction and failures. I hope you know and trust that above all else, I love each of you and I love all of you and want for us to all grow more and more into, as Colossians says, the fullness of Christ and to become more and more, as Jesus said, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I also want to say that you don't have to agree with what I'm about to say. 
I am presenting this as my story. And as you will see, my confession and my lament. This journey has been centered on the concepts of racial division and my own coming to terms with the realities of racism in my life and in the world around me. The Holy Spirit has moved in mine, and I am so thankful, Sharon's life, to first realize these realities in our culture and in our, idea, in our own set of friends and acquaintances, and then to mourn how contrary these ideas are to being people who know God, the creator of us all. People who are redeemed by Jesus Christ, the only name which we, with which we are saved and the name by which all can be saved. And as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who is working to transform all who welcome him into the new creation that broke into the world at his resurrection. I have to start by saying that I'm very thankful for the parents who created a household that promoted no level of overt prejudice or racism. There was no conversation that included derogatory labels for people who did not look like us or sound like us or live like us. And if I picked up anything like that at school or with neighborhood or unfortunately even church friends, it was quickly and firmly corrected at home. We don't talk that way. I believe the only time that my mouth had soap in it was directly because of that. My mother recounts being part of a school integration in the mid-1950s in Beeville, Texas, and recognizing that the girls' basketball team could no longer stop at restaurants after road games because there were two black players on the team. My father grew up vegetable farming in East Texas, where most of what were called the hands were black men and women. And while his culture was immersed in the system of one race being the bosses and another being the workers, I have never heard him degrade another person for the color of their skin or, again, their role in life. I find that environment to be a particular blessing as I discover more and more about the profound an overt racist culture that existed in the town in which I was raised. I will do my best not to name the town because it's not about what's wrong with my hometown because I believe it to be a typical story of many towns. I went to school at a place called Thornton Elementary. It was my neighborhood school. And while there were some brown faces, there were no black faces in that school. This didn't concern me. And when I got to middle school and there were some black faces along with more brown faces, it was in no way a concern to me. It didn't bother me. But what I did notice was the increasing overcrowded conditions in my school. 30, 35, 40, as many as 42 more and more students crowded into classrooms that were smaller than what it today is limited 20. This was a curiosity to me, but not a situation I concerned myself with. We got air conditioning in school by the time I got to third grade, and I was one happy little boy. But later in life, I've discovered that my overclouded classroom was the direct result of what I call systemic racism in my own hometown. In 1896, a precedent was established in Plessy versus Ferguson in which the Supreme Court of the United States of America, only 30 years after the conclusion of the horrific destruction and bloodletting of the Civil War, authorized segregation, legalized segregation, by finding Louisiana's separate but equal law constitutional. This ruling legitimized the notions of white superiority and black and in reality non-white inferiority and provided legal justification for Jim Crow laws that were enacted in many states. But beginning in 1936 and in continuing through the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the Supreme Court began to reverse segregation, especially in schools. In response, 
the school board in my hometown voted to sell all its school buses and claimed to the federal government that it could therefore not integrate or desegregate its schools. The federal government, in response, put an injunction on construction of any new schools or classrooms, classroom additions. It was only in 1966 that a partial integration of the high school, which didn't complete until 1968, began. And I began first grade there in 1970. Little did I know how much my own history was mingled with the ongoing story of systemic racism in Texas and the United States. Even later, as I moved back to my hometown as an adult, I discovered that racism in that town was not limited to the school, but permeated other parts of my beloved community. Whether it was the legalized segregation of what is called redlining, not offering home loans to blacks or other non-whites to purchase homes in white neighborhoods, or just plain old violence and intimidation, blacks were relegated to one side of town. This segregation was relatively simple in my hometown in that it was a railroad town, and the busy tracks marked the main axis of that line. While neighborhood segregation was bad enough, it was compounded by the fact that the train hindered access to those neighborhoods to most police and fire services. It also inhibited both ambulances getting to victims on the east side and direct access to the emergency hospital care. It wasn't until the late 1990s that overpasses were built over those tracks to provide that ready access. Unfortunately, the culture at church wasn't much better. I have absolutely no memory of any non-white person being asked to leave or not attend our congregation, the one that I grew up in. But I also don't remember any coming. My father has told me the story many times from the early 70s of the black church of Christ in town, of course on the east side, asking for and receiving help from multiple white churches to build a new building. In that process, I have to proudly say that my dad asked the business meeting why we can't just invite them to join us. But one of the elders said, who was a lifelong native of the town, they need to have their own place. Please do not hear a condemning voice towards my hometown. I have many friends, admittedly mostly white, but many black and brown, who are wonderful, loving, kind, and I would say righteous people whom I love. But the history is the history. And I am learning that I need to be more honest with myself about history and how it impacts the present. You see, the problem was that every time I learned something new about systemic racism in my hometown, it never caused me to really consider and pursue the reality of those systems everywhere affecting many people I love and care about. And in truth, to proclaim that I know the Father and to say that I follow the Son and filled with the Holy Spirit, I am called to care for all people, especially those who are marginalized in any way and really for any reason. So this isn't just a story, it is a confession that I am lamenting as well. I'm going to start my confession with the reality that it took appalling violence to get my attention. George Floyd's death in Wisconsin and its subsequent national and international reaction are what finally pushed my heart and mind into action. I could no longer simply say, what did that man do wrong? As I had with Trayvon Martin in Florida and Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and more recently, Breonna Taylor in Louisville. Yes, George Floyd could have been more compliant. Yes, he was extremely agitated. No, I am not anti-police. But emphatically, no. No, once subdued on the ground and in handcuffs, he did not have to die. And I think if I would have known him personally, I would have said murdered.
I understand and again am sickened by the way groups who want to leverage these incidents for violence and anarchy are taking advantage of them. But that does not change the reality. Systemic racism is a cancer in our culture that will only bring more destruction the longer it is ignored and the longer we as God's people, the body of Christ, continue to ignore it or act like it's not a problem. You're right. You're exactly right. I don't know everything there is to know about these situations. You may be right that I'm just being manipulated by the visuals. But I've discovered that racism is much nearer and much more personal than I would have ever thought. I have taken direction from various spiritual leaders who are not promoting anarchy, but are yearning for a day when Sunday mornings in churches that confess, praise, and proclaim the name of Jesus is no longer the most segregated hour in America. These leaders pointed me to conversations, conversations with black friends, and these conversations have been convicting. I want to say now that I understand there are also inequities which displease God for other non-white groups in the world. But in my context, in America, there is only one group whose ancestors' immigration was brutally forced by the slave trade and the economics of slave labor. Therefore, I believe their situation is unique. And so much of my story and confession today will be focused on my relationships with black men and women. Every story I have heard directly or overheard from these black men and women, not only 150 years ago, not 50 years ago, but right now, have been given witness to various disparities that range from simple lack of courtesy to insulting raci racial stereotyping to life-threatening situations. And they are not limited to small towns or the South. I confess that I don't know the way many people see a large, even well-dressed black man whom I know personally to constantly carry a smile on his face. But when he walks towards them or through a parking lot, there are people who look his way and lock their doors and pull their purses close. I didn't know, and one might say I didn't care to know, that it is not unusual for a non-white person driving through a largely white neighborhood to be pulled over by police, not for traffic violation, but just to check to be sure that the vehicle they are driving is not stolen. I didn't know, and to a certain extent I didn't care to know, that back fathers and grandfathers feel the need to carefully and thoroughly instruct their sons to an extent, and to an extent their daughters with specific instructions on how to act and not react when they are pulled over by the police. And that these same parents have to live with the fear that too often a simple traffic stop so much more easily becomes a fatality for their non-white children than for my own white children and eventually grandchildren. I didn't know that it was not unusual for a non-white person to call about an apartment for rent or a job opening and then to arrive in person be seen generally as not white but particularly black and suddenly what was available just hours earlier in a phone call will suddenly be closed or unavailable. You may say again I don't know the specifics of those situations but there's a study that was conducted by MIT and the University of Chicago of Business in 2003. These are two inst institutions that graduates have little trouble finding jobs. In this study, they sent 5,000 fictitious resumes out for 1,250 jobs. In other words, four resumes per job. These were openings for administrative and sales jobs. Of the four resumes, two were sent with inferior qualifications. But two were sent with highly two of them that were sent were highly qualified ones with nearly identical backgrounds and credentials. The difference in the two more qualified resumes was the names on the resumes. Half were the names Brendan, 
Greg, Emily, and Anne. The other half were Tamika, Aisha, Rashid, and Tyrone. In this study, the white names received 50 more initial responses, 50% more initial responses than did the black names. And this was a consistent statistic, whether the job opening was were something like a cashier or an administrative assistant. Again, I confess that I didn't know these inequalities, and maybe worse, I didn't care enough to know. I confess that I have not been honest with myself about history. I can remember thinking and probably even saying out loud that for many blacks following the Civil War, life was harder than when they were being, quote, taken care of by their masters. The truth is that of the hundreds of first-hand accounts of slaves that began to be collected and compiled as part of FDR's Works Progress Administration, there are no happy slave stories. There will, they will recount happy moments, but none of them say, I wish I was black back on the plantation. I didn't know enough, maybe I didn't care enough to know about the black codes before and after the Civil War and how limited the rights of even freed blacks to vote or for equal treatment under the law were. In the North, most of these disappeared after the passage of the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which ended slavery and the end of the Civil War. But in the South, white lawmakers gave them even more structure. They were particular, these were particularly empowered by what are called vagrancy laws, generally, which allowed for the arrest of freed black men for minor infractions and committing them to involuntary or forced labor. As the farms mechanized during the Industrial Revolution and less free labor was needed, then the Jim Crow laws were enacted that legalized segregation and built upon the theme of racial inequality. I've seen the movies, but I didn't think I really let, I don't think I really let the horrific reality of the Ku Klux Klan and a minimum, bare minimum, of 3,500 blacks lynched in America between 1882 and 1968. I also never acknowledged the role of law enforcement in aiding and abetting the Klan and those lynchings well into my own lifetime. I have heard of but never cared enough to investigate the details about one prototypical event that appropriately summarized the, abused in, the abuse endured by the ancestors of my black friends, the carnage of which is commonly called the Tulsa Race Riots of 1921, which destroyed and lynched an entire community in broad daylight, not just individuals on the cover, under the cover of darkness. Maybe most sickening is the reality that civic authorities did not just ignore the violation of black lives, but directly participated by deputizing and arming many white men. Before it was done, every black person in Tulsa was arrested with a minimum of 100 black people being killed and the entire neighborhood of Greenwood firebombed by air. I said I was convicted in heart and mind to act earlier. I must convince, confess that my body did not go along. I had the opportunity to be part of a peaceful march against inequality in Freeport back in April. I did not have the courage to go. I said it was because it didn't know what the logistics were and I didn't want to be perceived as protesting against the police, but mostly I was just afraid. You are right. I did not elect a single board member that made that, took that idea of selling the buses in my hometown. I did not elect any of the city leaders who drew the lines that divided it. I have never expected a black person not to sit next to me on public transportation or in a theater or at church. 
I did not fight for the Confederacy, and I never owned a slave. I did not ratify the Declaration of Independence, which ironically allowed slavery to continue to exist in a nation as it established a new liberty and freedom and proclaimed that, quote, all men are created equal. I might even take some credit for the fact that I do not, and for the most part, don't have any memory of using the N-word in my vocabulary. Of never being concerned about who I sat next to in school. About diligently taking care of black players on the football team when I was a trainer in high school. Of standing up to someone close to me who wanted to deride the idea of black men playing quarterback in the NFL. I took my youth group to the local black church's youth rally. I supported my daughter when she wanted to go to the high school band banquet with a black young man. He was a fine, fine young man. Taking my family on vacation when we were on vacation to more than one black congregation. I might take credit for never teaching or preaching any lesson that intentionally contained any approval of us against them thinking. Or of befriending, the best of my ability, every non-white man and woman in every congregation that I've ever been a part of. But I stand here today believing that those actions cannot outweigh my lack of, sensitiv in, my lack of sensitivity and inaction and most, maybe most of all, my silence. I want to say that black lives matter to me and they matter to God. I must be clear, very clear, that I know that there is an organization that has stolen that phrase and are using it as a label and that that organization is anti-God, anti-family and anti-Christian morality. I believe that it is clear that they are supporting and maybe even inciting violent riots, destruction of public property, looting, and general civic anarchy. But I will not let them steal a phrase that I want my black brothers and sisters in Christ and my black friends to hear me say. Yes, black lives do matter. So do brown lives and red and yellow lives. And it is because of the reality of systemic racism in our culture that I need to say it. I am convinced that it will not be solved without a unified effort from individual Christians and churches standing where I believe God would have us stand in attitude and in word and in action. I was blessed to have multiple conversations in preparing for this sermon. Conversations with my parents. and Conversations that lived in my, with people who lived in my hometown when some of the events that I'm describing took place. And they would consistently talk about relatives, older relatives, who were the kindest, sweetest people they ever knew. And yet, for them, their black friends were just the help. And what I had to confess to you is that what I realize is, is that part of the reason that those kind, dear people would allow that kind of division to exist between those who are white and those who are not is because the pulpits oftentimes were the source of the teaching on separate but equal and the inequality between different peoples of different color. And I do not want to ever be seen as preaching in those veins. For you, this church, for your children, for my grandchildren. I believe that the fellowship that Christ has called his church to be and do stands in stark contrast to any kind of racial, ethnic, social, or economic division. These are things that I have done and I am doing. And I think you would be blessed to do the same. I have had intentional conversations with members of our church and friends of mine who are black. 
And in that conversation, I started, you don't have to because you may not feel the need to, but I started all those conversations. I am here to confess to you that I didn't know things that I should have known and that I have not acted the way I should have acted. And I would like to hear your story of things that I'm only beginning to become aware of. Those conversations have been overwhelmingly blessed with people who have been generous and gracious and to this point, unaccusative. I invite you to seek out those conversations. I invite you to do some research. When you get home in your email, uh, most of you have access to Right Now Media. All of you have access. Most of you have taken advantage of that access. You're going to get a, a link. You're going to get a lesson, a, a group, a training, I think that's what it's called, that will lead you to a video by a man named Phil Vischer. You would know him as the guy who created the Veggie Tales. I encourage you to listen to all 20-plus minutes of it. There's a second follow-on as well. I also encourage you to contact Van Manning, who has done an incredible job of assembling resources, links to resources that he would be glad to email to you for a, a longer list. And what I failed to mention was a book that we've been reading as an eldership with our black male members called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. You'd be blessed to read that. I have stepped into a time of confession and lament, only part of which is this sermon. But I'm also doing my best to recognize the forgiveness that God wants to give me and has been generously given by every black friend that I've conversed with. But I want to use that forgiveness to make a difference in relationships wherever I have an opportunity. I want to thank Algie and Selena Armstead. Algie is an engineer at NASA, but also the preacher at the Westside Church in Angleton. I want to thank Bill and Joyce Lewis. I want to thank Van, and Ma Van Manning and Raymond Waddy for their unyielding support and their generosity and graciousness in helping me walk down this road. I invite you to come today. I invite you to come today and make Jesus' prayer for his church a reality in our time. Jeff has already mentioned it. I'll read these words and we'll stand and sing following them. From John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Thank you for your kind and generous hearing. Please. My eyes are dry, my
like to invite those parents who need to pick up your children to go ahead and do that as we're singing the next song in preparation for our communion. <clears throat> My precious Savior suffered pain and agony for it all. That I might win He broke the bonds of sin and set the captive free for it all. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, and you've blessed us in so many ways. And Lord, we thank you so much for your death on the cross for all of us, um, and the time that we can come together, all of us around this table, and be able to, to look back and recognize what you've done for us. We're all sinners, Lord, and we've all sinned in your eyes, and we pray that you will just continue to help us to understand this by your grace and by your death on that cross that we're saved. We pray that you'll be with us now as we partake of this bread. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Father, again, we thank you so much for this blood that was shed on the cross, this blood that covers our sins and takes it away from us, Lord, in your eyes. Lord, again, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us. We pray that you'll be with us now as we take it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Alan. The study we've been doing is, I guess, really emotional for, for us and... Uh, the thing that makes me is I'm now a granddad to two black boys. And uh, as we started to study that, what really kind of brought us all, all to this a little bit is my oldest son who is a minister up in at River Point and, uh, and they did this study and he told me, Dad, you need to read this book. <laughs> I could tell in his voice uh, the different viewpoint that he was having to do because now, you know, they're raising these two, these twins. And Jalen and Kaylin 
don't see me as anything but pop. And uh, I will have to confess, when I first started down this path, I'm like, I didn't want this, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how to handle it. And uh, to see Kaylin and Taylor and their love for them and Sandy's love for them and to see what Courtney and Brian have done and where those boys, their life was in shambles. And, and Brian and Courtney saw nothing of, of color or what to say they have the right, just as much as my own kids have the right, to learn about God and be part of society. Uh, Brian did tell me, he said, though, but I have to, as a father, understand I have to raise these two boys different because of society. And he goes, that hurts. And, um, and he said, Dad, you need to read this book. And they did the build, build the Bridge. And what's nice about the book is it has a study guide that goes along with it. So Latasha Morrison has done an absolute amazing job going through that book and talking about history of things that, that are not talked about in our history classes at all. I've never heard some of the things. And I appreciate Alan's time of spending in study and talking to friends. Our uh, reconciliation group that we have been doing about once or twice a month with uh, the men that uh, Alan mentioned has been very eye-opening. And, uh, uh, and you have to really look back and examine, you know, I, at first, you know, you're kind of sitting there, you're making me feel guilty for being white. And I think that's our very first stand. And I didn't mean to get up here to do this, but you pushed me to, to do this. And so I shared, um, it's, it put me back into scripture, and I ask you all to go read Ephesians 6. And I think it starts with uh, somewhere around verse 6 through 10, and it talks about talking, get, putting on the armor of God. But when you go down through there and you start reading it, um, it just happened to be we're doing the same study in a men's Bible study. And that Bible study I'm in, I am the only person from this church. So it's five other men from other churches, and we are you know, going through the, the study of John, but we have jumped over into this, and it's been um, eye-opening. And um, I just shared some stuff with, with our elders and with, with them this past week on my study. And, and the things that has happened this year in 2020, it's really uh, Satan trying to put a foothold in what we do and we need to put on the armor of God and we need to fight as a church. We need to fight as a nation. You know, you got, you got your political unrest, you got your racial uh, issues that are going on. You have uh, the COVID and what that has done to our relationships. And you know, this is Satan trying to come in and pushing us away. We need each other. We breathe each other. We love hugs. We love handshakes, and we love saying things to other face-to-face, -face, not over a Zoom, phone call, text. It's, you know, it's a face-to-face, -face, and we miss that. So, and I'm going to miss these two faces a lot. <laughs> so, will y'all come up here? Robin and Donna Marie, we'd like to present. Oops, sorry. Uh, we have something we want to present to you guys uh, if you haven't got to sign this, please uh, grab them and take it out of their hand. Um, the church would like to present you with this Bible, and I will not go through this because we all would be babbling idiots, but or good people, older people. So um, we've um, opened our home to these two for the last couple days, and we've really had some excellent times of memories and just talking to each other. Um, we love y'all. What y'all have invested in this church has been just uh, miraculous. Uh, they have taught that class that they're in for 20, is it 30 years? 20, 30 years, close? 25. 
25. <laughs> but uh, so each one of these kids who are now from a lot grow up, but they have impacted so many of our kids through their class that they've taught. Um, it's just amazing. And uh, when they build their little, the temple and which. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, but we would like to present this with you guys and uh, we love you and we will miss y'all very, very much. Have you want to say anything? You've got, there's they you. know I don't like to do this. <laughs> Just because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I can hold it all together either. But it's, it's been a wonderful time since we've been here. Getting to know everyone through the years. <laughs> We're getting this online, so be careful. But we love each and every one of you, and, and we're going to miss each and every one of you. And as we said before, it's not that far away. We will be back, but if you're on the road up to Fort Worth, Dallas, College Station, Longview, any place up that way in East Texas you're going, we're kind of sort of on the path. So please come by and visit us. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'll see you all day today. <laughs> So, um, into the announcements, uh, we just want to thank you very much for uh, your giving and the continued effort there because of how difficult this is and whether it's doing online or dropping it off in the box in the back, we really appreciate that. Uh, don't forget about the uh, picnic, uh, October uh, the 11th, it starts at 4, so uh, also, there'll be pictures that'll be taken at that time, and and uh, but the, and if you also that following Sunday, they're going to be doing the same thing I think here at the church. If you need to be, if it, uh, you need pictures, but um, also if you haven't signed up for life groups, please do so. Uh, those are uh, started up last week, and uh, so if you need uh, some help there, just look online and uh, look find one that you think will. Uh, fit uh, your needs and your family. Got a couple of cards, gonna read real quick. Um, uh, we are so thankful for your generosity and willingness to help us succeed in higher education. We truly appreciate the support and encouragement that was shown over the summer and the financial support that was recently shown, keeping you all in our hearts. This is from our interns from the summer, Taylor and Ozzy. So thank y'all for y'all uh, giving on their behalf and that matching uh, scholarship that they were on. Dear church family, I miss the worship and fellowship with everyone. I do appreciate the calls and cards I have received, praying for all of y'all and look forward to the time when we can all worship together again. Love, Nell Brown. Uh, just wanted to note, Tim, thank you for being here today. So if y'all see Tim, Marlon, make sure y'all uh, recognize him. He's had a tough go here lately, but it is awesome to see him warm in a chair. So let's pray. Our Father, as we come before you, I just want to thank you so much for this church family, uh, for those who are online watching this service and being uh, inspired by the, the singing and the, and the lesson today. And I just want to thank Alan for his heart and um, his honesty and his lament with uh, the process that, that he has gone through. And, and as we, we start looking at, at our own individual lives and how we look at how we treat others. Um, our list, I just want you to look at the list of all the ones on our prayer list. And uh, Alan had mentioned those earlier. Uh, each one of them had their own uh, certain uh, issues and things that they're dealing with i just ask you to look over them we lift those names up to you be with us as we go through this day and for this week and pray in christ's name amen please be standing for our closing song so they gave me some leeway so you'll have to indulge a little bit on this song we're going to sing it through three times and at the end of each one, we're going to raise it a half step and sing it again and raise it a half step and sing it again. Beautiful song, and it's just a prayer to God. Lord, listen to your children praying. Lord, send your spirit in this place. 